If you have your Bibles this morning, we are continuing in our journey through the Gospel of Luke. We're at the last part of chapter number 18. And I neglected to mention that if you are visiting with us this morning, we're so glad that you're here. There's a, a tab in your bulletin. If you wouldn't mind filling that out and dropping that in the box on the way out, a uh, black box there against the wall by the door, we'd greatly appreciate a record of your visit with us today. And so as we've been journeying through the Gospel of Luke, we've been investigating the life of Jesus, and Jesus is bringing us all the way through now most of his ministry. We're towards the very end of his ministry, as I've been uh, saying to you. But before we get into our narrative uh, today, let me ask you this question. Don't raise your hand, but maybe you might need to have your bulletin out for this or, or not. How many of you know our vision statement for our, our church? Now, that's in your bulletin every week. It's in the nice little gray box at the top. And if you're anything like me, something that is in front of you all the time, you never look at it, right? Well, I want to draw our attention to it today, our vision statement. It's going to be on the screen for you. You can look at it in your bulletins there. The vision of our church or the desire of our church is that we are committed to discipling uh, members of our church to become mature believers who are grace points making a difference in their communities. Now, if you're new to our church or being around, we use that term grace point to mean disciple. The reason why we use that term is we want to emphasize the fact that each one of us is the point at which God's grace reaches the world. Meaning this, wherever you go, whatever you do, whether you're at work, whether you're at home, whether you're out playing, whatever it may be, wherever you are, you are the point at which God's grace reaches this world. And that's what it means to be a disciple. And the only way that we can fulfill that, that goal, that, that dream of ours for all of us being uh, these disciples that take the grace of God to the world is that we need to become mature believers. And so what in the world does it mean to be a mature believer? Uh, what does that have to do with anything? Why do we use that terminology? Why is that there? And the reason why I'm bringing that up today is because this is exactly where Jesus is bringing us. This is exactly what Jesus has been laying out for us the past several weeks that we've been looking at this and exactly what he is giving us. So what does it mean to be a mature believer? I want to leave it this way. The next space there, mature believers equals mature faith. So then the question becomes, what is a mature faith? You see, faith is the core at which we know where we stand with God. We are continually to be growing in our faith, and we never arrive to the end of the growth of our faith on this side of heaven, but we need to continually be maturing, continually be growing. But what does a mature believer with a mature faith look like. And this is what Jesus has been laying out for us for, so that we have a de uh, definition so that we can know. So as I've said over and over again, Jesus is preparing his disciples and us for what ministry looks like, for what life looks like for us while Jesus is gone in heaven. Jesus is leaving his disciples. He's actually leaving his disciples within the next several days to where we are here in, our, in the context of our text here. And he has given us some very important instructions that we need to apply to our life that show us what mature, a mature believer, a member with a, a mature faith actually looks like. And I put it into a sentence for you for what we've done over the past several weeks. If you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not, write it down anyways. The next slide, please. We are to be 
humbly surrendered to God with a constant prayer life which causes us to walk by faith and live in hope. That is a mature believer. A person who humbly surrenders to the will of God continually, brings everything to God in prayer, believing that God is going to answer according to His perfect will and answer uh, for what is best with us, causing us to walk by faith continually, following what God has for us. And we'll talk more about walking by faith next week and to have a living hope, to live in hope. How many of you know, as we talked about last week, we live in a world that needs hope. Amen? Well, guess what? We have it, and we're to take it to them. Uh, We are the only chance they have to to have the hope that they can have in this world, the only hope that's given. And the only way any of this works, the only way any of this happens is if we have a mature faith, if we are growing continually in our faith. So what does that look like? What, What does it mean to have a mature faith? Well, in our narrative today and in the next week, we are going to be answering this one question. What does it look like to have a mature faith? Now, over the past several weeks, I've been telling you that Jesus is getting towards the end of his ministry. Today, Jesus enters the city of Jericho, which is 15 miles outside of Jerusalem. This is the morning of of this day, that uh, probably uh, a Saturday, maybe a Friday or Saturday, uh, because on Sunday, he enters Jerusalem. So he is here, we're getting ready for uh, the, the Passion uh, Week, probably Friday because the Sabbath day they wouldn't have done anything on there. He's in Jerusalem and he's, or excuse me, he's in Jericho getting ready to go to Jerusalem. And as Jesus enters Jericho, he's confronted by a beggar. And in this narrative, in this story we see here of this exchange that Jesus has, we see a picture of mature faith, what it means to have a mature faith. So let's pick it up as he's coming into Jericho, verse number 35. It says, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And so we recognize here that this, this blind beggar is sitting there in the street, he hears a commotion going on uh, in the street as to what is happening, what is taking place here. And as he hears this commotion, he does what everybody else would do because he can't see. He starts asking questions. What's going on? What's happening? Why is there so much commotion? This, this beggar probably sat in this spot every day for a long time. And he's like, I've never heard a commotion like this coming into the city. What's happening? What's taking place? And so someone's standing there by the beggar. In the, as the crowd's coming by, either someone from the crowd or someone standing nearby tells him what's going on. Verse 37, he says, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. Now, it's very interesting to think about a fact that a blind beggar who is not really part of society, sits out on the street corner all the time begging for money or begging for food, isn't really caught up in all the things that are going on. When they said Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, they didn't have to give any explanation. Isn't that cool? It kind of lets you know that the, the fame, if you will, of Jesus, the story of Jesus, what has been happening over the last three and a half years, has come to the ears of everyone. His reputation preceded him. This beggar knew who Jesus was. He understood who Jesus of Nazareth was. And when the person said to him, it's Jesus of Nazareth, what do you think the beggar did? He just sat there. Let's see what verse 38 says. Y'all look at me like, Pastor, you're setting us up again. You always do this. Here we go. 
He cried out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Immediately he hears that it's Jesus. He hears this crowd and he's not going to waste any time. He's not going to worry about anybody. He starts calling out his name, starts yelling for him. Now, he wasn't going, Jesus, Oh, oh, Jesus, would you come here, please? He has a crowd to overcome. He's got noise like crazy. He's got people. Listen, he was only blind. His arms and his feet worked. He stood up, I believe, where he was. Jesus! Right? I, I think he's telling himself, big motions. Get his attention. Hey! I think he slapped someone upside the head. I think he started walking into people. I, thought, I think he's tried to make his way over there. He didn't care who was there. He didn't care what was going on. He wanted to get Jesus' attention. So much so, I love this, and this is the reaction. Um, do I dare say it? This is the reaction, I think, of so many religious people. The people rebuked him. This man is trying to get to Jesus. He's making a spectacle of himself. He's, he's waving his arms. He's yelling, verse 39, and those who were in the front, those who were leading the crowd coming in, those who were walking with Jesus, those who were with him, said, knock it off. Be quiet. Jared, are your children in here? He said, shut up. It's a bad word in their family, okay? It's a bad word in their family, I don't, but I, I got to make the point. I want to make the point. They did everything they could to silence this man. Think about it. People that are following Jesus, trying to silence this man who wants to come to Jesus. It happens more often than you think. It really, really does. They're silencing him, trying to keep him quiet. This is improper behavior. Knock it off. Jesus is too important. You're embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing us. We want you to stop. And so when they said that to the beggar, you know what he did? He screamed louder. He did not stop. He did not settle down. He kept going. He, the more they told him no, the bigger his motions became, the louder he became. He moving into the uh, crowd, shouting, running. And guess what? It worked. It worked. Jesus, of course, saw him. And what did Jesus say? Jesus says, will you shut him up and keep him quiet? Not at all. Look what he says in verse 40. And Jesus stopped what he was doing right then and there. Stopped. And commanded him to be brought to him. Bring him to me. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Why are you coming to me? And he said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, look at these words, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately, immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. What a great truth. Those who seek Jesus, find Jesus. Those who seek Jesus, Jesus stops for. It makes time for. But I want you to see this phrase and the question that we're asking and answering today. Look at what Jesus says to this man. He says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. Question for you. 
when Jesus refers to this man's faith, what is he talking about? What is he really referring to when he says to this man, your faith has made you well? Is he simply referring or talking about belief? Or is he referring to more? You see, what we need to understand today and what, what we need to understand what Jesus is giving here, faith has become synonymous with the word belief, especially in our Western culture today. We say faith, we mean believe, or we say believe, we mean faith. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but listen to me very carefully. There's nothing wrong with that, but it is incomplete. Do you hear me? It is incomplete. The Bible does not tell us that be- the Bible, excuse me, the Bible does tell us that belief is the first step of faith. Unfortunately, though, our culture stops right there. If you believe, that's enough. If you say you believe, that's enough. If if you think you believe, that's enough. But faith has been relegated to belief alone. We are taught that we have faith when we believe in God. We have faith when we believe in Jesus for our salvation. We have faith when we believe the Bible or we believe the truths and principles that are taught. As long as we believe, we have faith. Did you know that's not what Jesus taught? It's not at all what Jesus taught. As a matter of fact, are you ready? The Bible tells us the demons believe, but have no faith. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you something that'll blow your socks off. You ready? Hold on to them. The demons believe better than you do. Believe more than you do. And they have no faith. Do you remember uh, when Jesus called his disciples? Do you remember that? We, uh, we're going through the video of The Chosen on Wednesday nights, kind of looking at that and discussing that and going through it. And uh, Jesus just called Peter, James, and John to be disciples. Do you remember what he said? Did he come to his disciples and say, believe in me? Is that what Jesus said? No, he said, follow me. Follow me. He didn't say believe, he said follow remember just a few weeks ago we looked at the rich young ruler you remember what jesus said to him because he was so wrapped up in all of his possessions and things he says sell your possessions but then what does he say he says sell your possessions and follow me jesus never said believe in me he said follow me follow me Now, did following him require believing? Of course it did. Absolutely it did. They believed in him. But their faith, listen now, was in their action, not in their belief. Their faith was in their action. Now listen, they didn't act to believe. They believed, so they acted. Do you see the difference? Because of their belief, it caused them to act. If there is no action, there is no faith. That's what Jesus' point is. As a matter of fact, James put it this way, faith without works is dead. It's worthless. It's useless. As a matter of fact, we could put it this way, faith without works, faith without any action is no faith at all. It's not faith. Okay? You can believe in something, but until you act upon it, you have no 
faith in it. And what did Jesus say to this blind man? He said to this blind man, he said, your faith has made you well. You know, this isn't the first time Jesus used these words. Did you know that? He used them earlier in Luke. Do you remember the prostitute in Luke chapter 7 who washed Jesus' feet with her tears, dried them with her hair, and anointed his feet with oil? He said the same words to her, your faith has made you well. And the woman with the issue of blood in Luke chapter 8, she pushed her way through a crowd just to touch the hem of his robe. And Jesus said to her, your faith has made you well. And just a few weeks ago, we saw the ten lepers. And we saw the Samaritan, the one who was the foreigner, who came back running to Jesus, who laid at his feet and praised him and worshipped him. And Jesus said the very same words, your faith has made you well. And then today, this blind beggar who Jesus healed, your faith has made you well. In all of these circumstances, what was Jesus referring to when he said these words? What did Jesus mean by the word faith? And Jesus was referring to a belief that moved them, a belief that caused them to act. That is a mature believer. Not a person that just simply says, I believe, or I think, or I know, or I know what the Bible says. No, none of that. You can believe all you want, but until that belief moves you, until that belief makes you act upon what you say you believe in, that is not faith. In other words, just coming and filling a chair saying, I believe in God, is not faith. Your faith is not exercised mainly in here. Your faith is exercised out there. And if nothing happens in your life out there, then I question when you come in here whether you actually have faith. You see? And that's what Jesus was saying. Let me ask you this question. What would have happened in the life of these people if they believed but didn't act? What would have happened? I believe in Jesus. I believe He's the Son of God. I believe He can heal. I believe that He can heal me. But if they never moved, if they never went, if they never sought, they would never be healed. You see. Well, I believe God can do anything. I believe God is in control of everything. But I'm not going to do anything about it. Do you have faith? I believe God is walking with me in my journey through this, or I believe God is directing me this way or that way. I believe all of this. But if you don't do anything about it, is it faith? I believe God has called me to go to the world. I believe God can save the world. I believe everyone can be saved. I believe that that God has a plan. He has a mission. He has a direction. But I'm not going to do anything. Then do you have faith? According to Jesus, no. You have beliefs. But you don't have faith. And we in the Christian church, especially in the Western church, have been so focused on beliefs that we've lost our faith. Do you hear me? We come in once a week and we sit down and we study the Bible. We, we study the scriptures. We, we go through this stuff and we say we believe. We say we believe. But we go out into the world and it doesn't affect us. It doesn't change us. The world doesn't know we're believers. 
We can't live for the Lord. We worry about everything. We dread. We drought. We drought. We, we don't drought. We're not drying up. But wait a we doubt, right? Christianity today, uh, pe- people that are in the world and dealing with the struggles of the world, the same struggles are in the church. The same worries that the world has, we have. I thought we had the answer. I thought we had God on our side. I thought we had the plan laid out for us, how we knew what to do and, and how to play, apply it to our lives and how to live it out. I thought we had all of that. Well, we do. But you don't have it if you don't have faith. You don't have it until you act upon it, until you apply it to your life, until you do it, until you live it. Did you notice in that statement that I said at the very beginning that uh, for the definition, we are to be. You notice I didn't say that we are to do. We are to be. Humble, surrendered, praying, walking by faith, living in hope. That is to be who we are, not what we do. Do you know the difference? What you do, you have to put effort into. You have to work at it. But if you have faith in God and trusting Him and walking with Him, that should just flow out of you. Humbleness should just be your character. Surrender to God's will should be whatever your will is, God, I'm going to do it no matter what. Prayer should be your second language, if you will, right? Constantly talking to God and and working with Him and trusting Him that He's going to do it. Walking by faith, you should be feeling and hearing the prodding of God to move you and say, God, because you're in control, I will take that step, I will do it. And you should live your life going, man, I don't care how bad this world is, my God is good. Because I am living in faith. But have you ever heard that the church is anemic? That's why. Because the church isn't living by faith. The church isn't living according to the Word of God. Jesus was not moved by them believing a truth. Rather, Jesus was moved because their belief caused them to act. That's faith. A woman so desperate for forgiveness that once she received it, she drew... Uh, it drew her to passionately worship Jesus in front of some pompous religious leader that stood there and scoffed at her doing this. She came in and cried at Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her hair, anointed his feet with oil. And Jesus said, to whom much is forgiven, much worship comes from. I was thinking about that today. You guys sounded great worshiping. But you know how often we sing those songs and how those words become so routine? It's kind of like our vision statement that we don't look at in the bulletin anymore. And it's like, oh, we just sing these over and over and over again. I am constantly challenging our worship team. What do those words mean to you? Remember that we're singing and worshiping God. We're not going through a routine of just singing words. When you come in here, you, the Bible says that when we gather corporately that God is here in our midst. That when we lift up songs of praise, we literally are transformed to His throne room where we're praising and worshiping Him. And we go through the motions. This woman couldn't contain herself. She was so amazed by what she was forgiven. Oh, how much have we been forgiven? If we got what we deserved, we would all bust hell wide open. A woman desperate for healing that she abandoned her place and culture 
and she forced her way through a crowd of mostly men just to touch the robe of Jesus. Why? If I just touch him, I know. Do you have that much faith? That God is there and going to take care of me no matter what because I'm his child, just trusting him and he will take care of it for me? Oh, it may not work out the way you think it will, but God promises to provide and take care of his children. A foreigner who Jesus should have never talked to in that culture. A Samaritan, the one who was hated by the Jews, and Jesus being a Jew should have never even looked his way, let alone heal him of leprosy. Comes, I, I had the word obnoxiously because the Bible tells us he just came screaming back, flew at Jesus' feet. Thanking him and praising him. His faith made him come. And the blind man who even wouldn't listen to the rebuke of the religious forced his way through to come to Jesus so that he could see. Do you see the common theme? Do you see the common denominator? Listen, their faith passionately moved them to action. Passionately move them to action. I don't care who sees me. I don't care who hears me. I don't care who opposes me. I'm trusting my God. I'm going to act like I trust my God. I am going to live by faith. And when Jesus uses the word faith, Anytime Jesus uses the word faith, that's what Jesus is talking about. A belief and trust in God that moves you to obedience. To have faith, we must believe. And we must know what we believe. But if that's where we stop, church, then we miss it. We don't have faith. If all we do throughout the week is come in here and hear about Jesus and hear, uh, come to Sunday school and hear our lessons and, and take them in and just study. Do you, realize, do you realize that Jesus never said, why don't you all come together and just study what I say? Make sure you know it. No. He wants us to study. He wants us to know it. So we will act. And church, it's time to act. It's time to act. He's talking about faith here in Jesus. The faith that Jesus is talking about is a belief, listen now, that moves us to do big things for God. Big things for God. A faith that moves us to make a difference in our world, in our community, in our neighborhoods, to make a difference for us, uh, for Him in, in what we do. The faith that lets us know that we can make a difference in our communities. A faith that compels us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in our communities. It's great to study God's Word. It's great to know the truth. It's great for us to come together and build each other up. Why do we do that? We do all of that so that we can go. 
We don't do that so we can make ourselves puffed up or feel good. The Pharisees did that and see where that got them. Where to go? A faith that tells us that nothing, listen, nothing is too hard for God. That with Him on my side, following His call in my life, I cannot fail. Not because of me, but because of Him. A faith that destroys fear and compels us to do big things for God because our God is bigger than everything. Do you believe, church, that your God is bigger than everything? We say, man, we say yes, we say we believe it, then we get in the world and we wring our hands and we fret about everything else the world's fretting about. Where's our faith? It's easy to be big and strong in here. We all believe the same thing, I hope and think. But listen, when we get out in the world and we're, we're, we're pushed by it, do we stand or do we fall? Do we say, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? You see, I believe that many Christians believe that Satan is actually winning. I'm here to tell you that Satan's already defeated. He can't win, no matter what he does. So I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you today. While I believe we need to study God's Word, while I believe we need to have our Sunday school classes, while I believe we need to have our midweek study and hopefully uh, really renew our small groups coming up, I believe we need to have those. Listen, church, it is time to stop simply studying the Bible and start living it. It's time for us to put our faith in action. It's time for us to know that we must stand and it's time for us to understand it is going to cost us. We are at the place, I believe in history, where rubber meets the road. No more can you play Christianity. <laughs> I can't say shut up anymore, Jared, without thinking of your kids, buddy. But can I say this? It's time to put up or shut up. It's time. The games are over. To be quite honest, they've been over for a long, long time. We've just been carrying them through. And I'm telling you, it's time for us to put our faith into action. That's what mature believers look like. That is the desire of my heart that every person that becomes a member or part of this church leaves our doors being a mature believer to know the Word of God and put it into action in their life. That's the win. Until that happens, we haven't won. We'll always have work to do. But as I said, I think I asked this last week, I'm going to ask you again, how's your faith? How's your faith? Faith is the thermometer and the thermostat that lets us know where we are with God. So, can I leave you with this? Mature faith moves us to godly action. And I hope and pray it's your desire to be a mature 
believer. Because that our mission is not based upon what I want or what our elders want. Our vision is based upon what Jesus has said. Do you hear me? I'm not telling you my desire. I'm telling you what Jesus said. And that's his vision. That we, wherever we go, we go make disciples of Jesus Christ. Where we go, lives are changed. Marriages are strengthened. People are delivered from sickness and and, uh, evil and wickedness and sin. That when we move in our world by the faith of God, our world is changed. Too long we've been living where the world is changing us. It's time now for us to change the world. Because time's running out. Mature faith moves us to godly action. Will you stand with me in God's house today? Oh dear God, I need this message more than anybody here today. I would never stand up here saying that I've got this all together and I know exactly what needs to happen. But I'm following your word and I'm trusting in you and I want so much, God, that in my life, my faith will be seen in what I do. And God, I pray that for this church. I pray that for every believer that is here. Lord, that their faith will be seen and be changing our community and our world. Use us, Lord. Mature us and grow us in our faith that we might be mightily used of you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.